Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 132 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and celebratory Husker fans. <laughs> That's right. A bit of a change of pace from the past few weeks of this podcast. Yes. Yes. So for those of you out there who may be listening to the podcast for the first time, we're College Football Throwdown, a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. We are a father-son duo here today to talk about our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, as well as the wider world of college football. We'll be getting into some of the big uh, coaching shakeups that have happened in the landscape as well. Uh, But before we dive into all that, we're going to stick with our tradition and open up a cold beverage. Uh, I have my last of the uh, uh, Kona uh, Big Wave Golden Ale, Kona Brewing Company beers here. Mm-hmm. Well, and and so your mother was just giving me a hard time about the fact that I, I don't have anything cold, but but my favorites, and, and I'm running really, really short on this. I have just a few of the uh, my favorite beer uh, from the uh, Southwest. The Kilt Lifter Scottish Style Amber Ale from uh, Four Peaks Brewing Company in Tempe, Arizona. But I'm gonna I'm gonna sacrifice one right here, right now. <laughs> sacrifice one for the greater good. For the greater good. Yep. yep. E- even though I might, I, I'm tired and, and and it might put me to sleep. <laughs> so you might have to shout at All the right. end of this podcast. <laughs> All right, I'll work on that. Here Alrighty. we go. Yep. All right. So, yes, to kick things off, we'll be talking about uh, Nebraska's game against Indiana, which Mm -hmm. we were talking about on last week's podcast and emphasizing its importance, uh, because if we couldn't beat this team at home, the rest of our season was looking real, real dark and dim. Um, And thankfully, uh, we were able to pull out the W. Uh, It was an ugly win, but it was a win nonetheless. Of uh, 35-21, we gave our predictions on the last podcast, and we both predicted a win. I said 35-31, you said 41-31. So I was pretty close. I got our score right, uh, but Indiana scored 10 less um, than I anticipated. I think we both kind of expected to be more of an offensive battle, um, and really it was more defensive on both sides, both offenses uh, really struggled to get things going at certain points. Well, and and, and both teams were guilty of of uh, in many cases, you know, shooting themselves in the foot with ter- with uh, with penalties. Both teams had double digit penalties. It was the most penalized game in the Big Ten this season, and uh, you know, Nebraska had twelve penalties and they had eleven. Yeah, at Indiana. Yeah. So it was just. Foul ball for 111 yards and 92, so 200 combined yards of penalties. <laughs> yeah, well that that that'll take down your offense a notch. Yeah, definitely. Um, and some of those, you know, I, I should say that uh, I listened to the first half basically on the uh, radio, and then was able to watch the full second half. Um, mm-hmm. and it sounded like some of them were a bit ticky tack, like you know, on yeah. the fence. Um, but the majority were, you know, kind of more blatant. And so, yeah, Yeah. it just was not a a disciplined game on either side. Right. 
Uh, well, uh, there was some there was some definite pass interference penalties that they called, and they legitimately were. But I would, uh, you know, I always argue on pass interference because of how inconsistently that that particular rule is is interpreted. You know, from group or I should say, you know, um, what do I want to say conference. Uh, 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 well, not just even conference, but but definitely conferences too. Yes, the term I'm looking for is crews. Uh, you know, the refereeing crew. You know, from one crew to another, how they tend to interpret and and call that just can change. But so as a team, you have to adjust early in the game if they're calling them tight. You know, and if you're not getting called, you almost have to start testing the boundaries and say, see how far you can go with physicality, because. Um, some crews will, you know, call ticky tack stuff, and others won't. You know, you have to mug them before they'll call it. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's an annoying part of the game. Uh, I will say there was a, um, there was that uh, great tackle um, by one of our guys that caused the fumble, um, and that particular player got injured off of that hit, um, and they yes. started to review it for targeting. Um, right. Which you know, I understand why they why they took a second look at it. But I was gonna throw a fit if they actually called it because it was uh, clearly not. He hit him uh, shoulder oh, yeah. shoulder. Below. Yeah, shoulder yeah, to shoulder. No, yep. no head contact. No leading with the head. Right. It was all below the head. Um, and thankfully, they they made the right call. They didn't throw the flag on that. Um, right. Because yeah, you know, hits like that in college football have become rarer these days well and 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 honestly that could have easily been a targeting call if that uh uh offensive player had simply lowered his his body his torso you know anymore i don't know how you're supposed to tackle without doing that when 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 the when the offensive player can choose to lower their body okay well you were targeting their body and then they lowered their head into your trajectory I don't see how that's the defense's fault. See, and so that's that's an element of that whole definition of that rule that, to me, needs to change. There has to be circumstances where, uh, if an offensive player is is running forward or toward the defender, or, or and and chooses to lower their body, you know, their trajectory to get low, because that's how you get leverage, then you can't call that targeting, because he was not targeting the head. That was an inadvertent collision of the head. I think that that's an easily interpretable thing, as easy as interpreting on any other element of that stupid rule, which is all interpretation. So, so why can't you add in language that says uh, the exception to the targeting rule is if this player is lowering their body or lowering their torso uh, to, uh, to prepare for contact, then, then targeting is off the... It's off the uh, table because now, you know, that that offensive player is doing as much to target with his head as the defensive player. Right. So I, I, I just I have a problem with that. Right. Yeah. yeah I not, get... to, not to get sidetracked on a po- on a policy. Issue. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I get that their their purpose of it is to just uh, try to have coaches tell players don't lead with your head, you know, no matter right. what. Right. Try to uh, avoid that. 
Um, because yes, there have been many situations where I've also thought that uh, the offensive player, you know, lowered themselves down. And sure, when you look look at it slow motion, right, it looks kind of bad. But in the moment, that's a split second thing that that defender Absolutely. has no time to react to. I totally agree. And 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 you're right. And it has worked, quote quote, worked in quotes, in that uh, it has changed the way coaches teach tackling. But it has not improved tackling. It has made tackling worse. And I think, generally speaking, uh, the game has been lowered in quality because of those rules changes. Now, have they saved some concussions? You know, I don't have the data to look at. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume they have. Otherwise, they wouldn't have kept the rules. Uh, you know, if they were continuing to see as many, you know, head injuries and neck injuries and things like that, you would think they would have changed the rules. So since they haven't, that leads me to believe that they must be seeing fewer. But I don't have those, have those data points. But it, it, as I watch the sport, I think the quality of proper tackling technique has deteriorated during this period of, of time in the sport, not improved. So that's my yeah. two cents on that. Um, diving into the stats of the game. Yeah. Um, Nebraska let's, had. <laughs> I was going to say, let's talk about a victory, huh? Yeah. Let's talk about a W. That sounds fun. Uh, Nebraska had 22 first downs to their 14, uh, mm-hmm. 115 yards of rushing on 51 attempts to their uh, 67 yards rushing on 23 attempts. Uh, we had 270 total yards of passing. Well, they had 223, which led to total offense of 385 versus 290 for the teams. Uh, we already mentioned the penalties. Um, and then both teams threw an interception. And we also had a fumble in there. So we were actually minus one on the turnover uh, ratio. Right. Um, and both teams got some sacks through looks like uh, four for them, three for us. Um, but we had a significant advantage in terms of time of possession, 35 yes. minutes to 25. And we're also better on third downs, seven of 16 versus two of 15. Way better. So the two things that I would say you can draw out of that is the is the third down conversions was huge. Our, our defense did a great job of, of not allowing them to convert third downs. And their whole offense is predicated on converting thirds downs. Because remember, the, the previous game they played, they had 104 uh, plays. Mm-hmm. Right? So they had about, what is it, 65 or 70 plays in this game. So they had 35 fewer plays in this game than they did the previous week. So by not allowing those third down conversions, you don't allow them to march it down the field and you know do what they want to do on offense, which is excellent. Yeah. The, the, hidden, the hidden stat that you're not seeing on that, you see a part of it, a hint to it in the time of possession, right? We have a huge time of possession advantage. Well, you've got to relook at that rushing total. What was that number again? Just give that to me real quick. Uh, for us, it was 51 rushes for 115 yards. Yeah. Okay. We did way better than that, right? What's, what's hidden in that is that our quarterbacks collectively took some god-awful sacks, including one getting sacked in the end zone for a touchdown, or Indiana, uh, uh, when he would have just taken a safety, but he decided that you know he was going to let the ball go too. Um, so uh, if you remove all those negative yards, and there were massive, I think it was like forty-five or fifty yards 
So instead of that 115, that would have been about 165 or 170 of actual, you know, positive yards from scrimmage running the football. That's right. If well, you take away the sacks. So that they had four sacks on us for 48 yards. We had three for 26. So you're correct. That was definitely a significant amount. Yeah. And, and so uh, because, because one of the things that got me most excited about this game, and I, I also, I watched a, a good portion of the first half uh, and then uh, missed a little bit of the third quarter, but then ha- have since watched it a couple of times. And, uh, um, you know, there, there was clearly a number of missed opportunities throughout the game that frustrated the heck out of me. Uh, but the thing I was really, really pleased with was not the, the first touchdown drive of the fourth quarter, but the second touchdown drive. After we had taken a 28-21 to 21 lead, we then got that ball back, and we drove the length of the field running the football with some pretty darn good blocking. And uh, Anthony... Uh, uh, Grant. Grant Grant was just a, a workhorse, and you know, I mean, he was getting every yard. He was trying so hard. He was fired up, and you know, averaging about probably eight yards a carry, right on that drive, and it was brilliant. And we we did mix in some pass plays and stuff when we got in closer to the end zone for whatever reason. We, we even though we were having great success running the football. Uh, on one play, they stopped us for like only a one-yard gain, and then we went to the passing game and pass-pass, you know, but it worked, and we got into the end zone. But the more important thing was, because we had done all that running on that drive, we consumed a number of minutes off the clock, I'm going to say three and a half or four minutes of uh, time of possession, and we physically, you know, beat on them, right? And uh, so, and then when you, when you can get the payoff, when you get that touchdown, now you're up 14 points. That was huge. Nebraska has not been able to do that since Scott Frost's first year when we still had, um, oh gosh, his name is escaping me, um, our last really great running back uh, who, who ended up going to the NFL for a few years too. Or help me with his name. Uh, Amir? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, no, definitely well after Amir. Um, but anyway, I'll think of it. Okay. I'll think of his name. But uh, oh, bottom Bur- line is or Burkhead. No, he was a nope. No, no, no. That's before Burkhead was before Amir. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm keep going back. Yeah, you're going the wrong way. Um, but anyway, we had a great running back in Scott's first year, uh, and uh, and one we could rely on. And, but we didn't figure that out until like the third or fourth game of the year. Uh, but regardless, the point is we just haven't had that kind of running capability until. I saw a glimpse of it, just a glimpse, in this Indiana game. Uh, at times earlier in the game, but especially in the fourth quarter. Right. Um, we talked on the last podcast about how uh, the defensive coordinator Eric Shenander had been fired after the tough loss to Oklahoma, and Bill Bush, our special teams coordinator, was promoted to defensive coordinator. Um, and he had, we had a bye week going into this. We had extra time than usual to prepare, um, and you could see that. Um, it definitely helped on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the fact that we were able to contain this Indiana team that, you know, is a very fast paced team and was able to put up points against other teams in their season. Uh, and frankly, the game should have been, uh, 
way, we should have been way further in the lead uh, because one of their touchdowns was off of that sack in the end zone when Chubba Purdy came in for one series that gave them an easy touchdown. Uh, And then they had a nice drive to score near the end of the second quarter, and we just needed to run a few plays to run out the clock. Couldn't do that. Gave them the ball back, and they uh, scored quickly on our tired defense, leaving it tied up 21-21 going into the half, which had me, uh, as I was driving back home, very concerned. I'm like, oh, boy, this is how things are going to go downhill for us, right? right? Because uh, right, we, right. we had outperformed them significantly in that first half, yet it was a tie game. Um, but thankfully, uh, the defense came out and performed even better in the second half, stuffed them from getting any points, as it turns out. Um, right. And we were able to get a easy score of our own off of a special teams play, which was great to see. Well, that was in the first half, though. That special oh, that's true. score that's was true. Uh, in that first half. The two scores in the second half were, were on a huge pass play, a 71-yard pass play that uh that we had in early in the fourth quarter that kind of changed the momentum of things but then we followed that up and that was the key uh the very the very next drive we took a, we took the ball down the field we marched it down there and burn up clock um and uh and then got a 14 point lead and then then uh then we were cooking with gas right um and i know one other thing that we talked about uh last week was the depth chart Right. And we were wondering, um, will they be more willing to substitute players um, than we had seen under the Scott Frost, Eric Shenander kind of leadership? Um, And definitely seemed like we were. I saw new faces out there. um, And the fact that they were they pulled Casey Thompson right for a a, for a drive after he had had that intentional grounding. Right. That was pretty bad. Uh, now that kind of backfired because Chubba Purdy didn't do anything and then fumbled it in the end zone. Um, right. But I think psychologically it may have helped Casey because I feel like he he kind of was able to figure some things out later on. Well, and and uh, I, I'm not sure if if that happened during the game, but an, uh, it it has it, it is a major point of conversation today on the Monday following the game uh, because. Uh, um, he, both he and and uh, Coach Joseph were, of course, made available to the media today. Right, this is their normal Monday press conference day, and and they both talked about it quite uh, uh, significantly, including the fact that um, Casey went into um, Coach Joseph's office and had a conversation with him about it and let him know, I don't like that you took me out. Okay, so. And it's it's interesting because it gives us a little insight into the relationship. Now, keep in mind that uh, you know Mickey and and uh, Casey they've known each other since Casey was a child, because K- Casey's dad Charles Thompson was a Oklahoma quarterback, <clears throat> same vintage, same era as Mickey at Nebraska. So they knew each other all the way going back to competing against each other in uh, in college. Okay. Uh-huh. And they had stayed, they had apparently stayed in contact. So he knew Kate, he, he, and he has a pretty deep relationship with Casey Thompson. It's one of the reasons why Casey ended up at Nebraska, right? So, um, but the bottom line is kind of neat that, that he feels confident enough that he can go into his head coach and say, hey, I don't, I didn't like the fact that you took me out. But then Coach Joseph sat him down and said, hey, here's why. You know, number one, we need to protect you a little bit. 
you know, and you're getting banged up. And when you're making decisions like that, okay, when you're making negative decisions like the, the uh, intentional grounding, guess what? I'm going to pull you because sometimes it's better for you to be on the sidelines, get your, yourself uh, together and, and, and let some of these other guys play because as, as beat up as you are getting, there's a very good chance I'm going to need those two guys, right? Those second and third team quarterbacks. So you've got to get used to that. It's probably going to happen again. You know, so I love that that whole dynamic, that whole uh, relationship and that conversation could happen, right? I'm not sure that happens with Scott. Right. Um, no, that is interesting to hear. I wasn't aware that their relationship went back that far. Yeah. Uh, but I have written down here as one of my notes that uh, I'm predicting right now uh, that Casey Thompson will not make it uh, this full season without getting pulled out at some point, you know, for a full game or two or something, because he's already been in that injury tent, you know, several times been sacked. Um, now he, you know, he came out of that injury tent, right. And, uh, and through some beautiful passes, like that 70 yard pass that you mentioned, I screamed extra yes. loud when that happened. I can tell you what, <laughs> um, yeah. so, you know, uh, he's shown, obviously we've seen it already in these games, you know, how great of a thrower he can be. Uh, but then he also sometimes misses guys, you know, that are that, like the easy passes, you know, right. He sometimes misses um, or overthrow well, somebody who is open deep and things like that. And this, this week's going to be a real test because number one, you're going against a Greg Schiano defense and Greg and the Rutgers uh, uh, team, you know, they're going to be known for defense because Greg Schiano is a defensive guy. Okay. He's a, he's an old school defensive coordinator and has been very good pretty much everywhere he's been. Right. So you can count on the fact that they're going to be well-schooled and they're going to be fully aware of, of the laundry list of little injuries that he's already, that Casey's already had. And, and this is again, a mistake. And I, I and I'm hopeful that Mickey uh, has already talked to him about today's press conference. Number one, he probably shouldn't have been sharing as much information as he was. And particularly he shared details of pretty much every injury he's had this season. Uh, and so now that, that defensive coordinator knows exactly where to hit him. They, they, you know, that he's had, you know, um, an injury to his elbow. And inj- I mean, he went through it. It's like six, six different things. And, and it's like, you don't ever share that. Never, ever, ever share that. Right. Unless you want to be hurt. And, no, you know, if you don't want to play, then go ahead and share that information. Because that's what's going to happen, you idiot. You know, that was just dumb. I mean, it really was. That's dumb. That's a rookie move. And the fact that he... He wasn't previously told or coached that that's the kind of stuff you do not share, and here's why. If I'm a defensive coordinator and I know that this guy had, uh, has a, you know, a sore shoulder, I'm going after that shoulder, right? I'm going to drive him into the ground as hard as I can on that bad shoulder. I'm going to do everything I can. He's got a wrist injury. I'm going after that wrist, right? I'm going to swing at that wrist. I'm going to hit that wrist. I'm going to do everything I can to hurt that wrist. Okay, that's my job, right? right? So I want to get him out of the game. I don't want to kill him. I don't want to ruin his career, but I want to injure him enough that he chooses not to come back out and compete against me. Right. And, and, and players need to understand that, especially a quarterback. Right. And once again, you know, he's a junior, right? He's transferring in yeah. as a junior. That's the sort of thing you might expect a freshman to say, but you have higher mm-hmm. standards for a junior. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and he is the son of a Division One quarterback. You know, 
he should have known that. He should have been, you know what I mean? His his football <laughs> known that in the crib. IQ, right? <laughs> his football IQ uh, should have been way high. No, I mean like before he uh, end of his seventh grade year, that should have been something he was already aware of because he was already getting media attention. You you know that because he was Oklahoma's star quarterback son, right? So um, I just uh, that that's something that happened today in the press conference that does bother me and I view as a negative. But but since we're talking about a victory, I really want to focus on the positive things about that game. I feel like in that fourth quarter, we learned something about our offensive line. Throughout the game, we learned some things about our defense. I think our, de- our defense has just begun to learn how to play defense. Like they, they were being told how to kind of go through motions, but they were never allowed to actually play defense under the previous regime. I, I genuinely believe that to be true. And, and so what does you know, Coach Bush do when he gets in there? He doesn't change a lot of language. He doesn't change a lot of things. But we went way, way more aggressive. We were, we were playing man coverage a lot against Indiana. Now, there was a, there was a matchup reason for that. And, and this is why we can't overreact to this victory, is that Indiana, their two top receivers, okay, on a team that lives and dies by their passing game, their short passing game, their two top receivers were both out against us. They didn't play. So they were playing with inexperienced receivers in an offense that requires, you know, your receivers to be good. Right. Right. And so we, we lucked out in that whole matchup thing. And uh, I don't know what their status is, whether they'll be back because Indiana has to play Michigan this week. So, so they better, uh, they better strap up the chin straps because they could get housed really bad if, if they play like they did against us. Um, Yeah. um, But, but anyway, my, my point is, is that, uh, our defense, our defensive line played and with aggression and, 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 and had penetration and, and we were getting into the backfield and getting sacks, you know, things that we just weren't seeing earlier. And then because we were playing man up, we were able to be more aggressive uh, in terms of adding pressure to the package because we were counting on those receivers. I mean, even the, the analysts were saying, hey, these guys on the outside, there's nobody behind them. There's no safety help. They are one-on-one, you know. Uh, so that quarterback just needed to get them the ball, and they could have had big play after big play against us, but they, they just didn't get it done. Right. And part of that also was that, you know, um, their quarterback, you know, isn't like the the type of – the top-tier type of quarterback, right, like we face with Oklahoma and stuff. Uh, Correct. You know, because there were some, some plays where uh, – a a pass would, you know, just go off the hands of a receiver, be overthrown, right? Where they were open, yep. you know, and there were positive yards to be made and their quarterback correct. just didn't execute. That is correct. You are exactly right. And so I don't know if we can afford to be that aggressive this week like we were this uh, this past week against Indiana when we go up to Rutgers. I mean, I, I think a different a different strategy and a different game plan is going to have to be implemented. If we try to do the same thing, I fear – we probably won't have the same level of success. But the fact that we're playing more freely, that, it, that the system has been simplified, I think is a huge plus. And it and has opened the player's eyes to, okay, we can do this. You know, We do have more talent than we've been showing. And that's, that's the aha moment that we need those guys to do. And then they just need to keep working hard and playing hard and playing for each other 
and maybe they can string together a few victories here, you right. know, until we until we get back into the heavy lifting part of the schedule. Right. Because like I shared with you the video of uh, Trev Albers and Mickey Joseph and the whole team, you know, celebrating in the locker room afterwards. And Trev gave yeah. Mickey the game ball. Um, and, you know, it was great to see that just because these kids have had a very tough start to their season. And for the older players, it's been a tough career at Nebraska under Scott Frost. Um, so it's great just to see that energy. Um, what I'm looking for in this Rutgers game is for us to cut down significantly on the penalties. I want to see uh, a more cleaned up, you know, less more disciplined version yes, more of, disciplined. of what yes. we saw for sure. Um and then, uh, to your point as well, uh, continued uh, success, uh, c- continued evolution on defense, right? Like we know for a fact that Mickey and Bill are uh, having there be more contact and practice, right, than there was under Scott Frost. Um, and I think we saw some of the dividends, dividends of that in this game. So I'm hoping to see Absolutely. more of that in the weeks to come. I, I totally agree with you. And uh, on offense, our offensive line, we we had to shuffle some th- some things around because one of our offensive linemen got ejected on, frankly, some pretty questionable um, you know um, personal foul penalties that led to his ejection uh, for supposedly punching a guy when all he really did was just shove him. Uh, and uh, um, so you know one of our our starting left tackle got ejected from the game. That's a big deal. And 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 so we had to shuffle personnel around and. I felt like the offensive line was playing at its best in, at the in the fourth quarter. So, so if we can we can start to figure out, okay, we've gotten some snaps for these guys. They can we have more confidence in them. We can rotate things a little bit more. I think they're going to eventually discover the best five to have out there on the offensive line that can actually start to play as a unit. Um, and if they can do that, we have the running back and the wide receiver quarterback threat to make our offense pretty effective. But we need that offensive line to come together. Otherwise, it's nothing. Because Case is going to get crushed, as will Purdy and, you know, every one of our quarterbacks. Right. I mean, we need that offensive line to, to get its shit together. Very true. Very true. Uh, so do you want to uh, preview the Rutgers game now or save that for the end? Let's see here. Let's, let's go ahead and preview that now. But I, I want to take one moment to talk about something you just mentioned, which was the locker room uh, thing that has been you know shared with a lot of people uh, trev albers and uh giving the game ball now you know that's a tradition that goes back forever you know that when a when a new coach gets his first victory you know they get the game ball right um and uh and so that's cool and i'm glad that that was able to happen like you said it was great to see that energy and that enthusiasm in the locker room there's a lot of happy faces there but uh it has since occurred to me um uh, as I was reading things and stuff, you know, I had known that um, Trev Albers and Mickey were somewhat close in age, but I didn't realize that they overlapped at the exact same time, that they were in fact teammates for a couple of years at Nebraska. I did not know that. I, I, I had, for whatever reason, my perception was is that Mickey was older than that and that Trev was after him. But actually, in Trev's probably freshman and sophomore years, um, uh, and maybe even junior, I don't know if it's two or three years, but uh, Trev was a young player on the team that Mickey Joseph was the starting quarterback. You know, he was the main. So they have a relationship and a, and a connection that's deeper than I realized. Mm-hmm. 
We're uncovering all sorts of these uh, Mickey Joseph connections, it seems. Right. Well, exactly. And uh, so, uh, well, that that makes me think that, you know, Trev would like nothing more than for Mickey to be able to turn this thing around. And for the two of them as a cohort, you know, as an AD and head coach, the two most important people in in any major athletic department because of the money involved, uh, I could see those two really working well together. I think Trev understands the importance of recruiting. Mickey definitely does. Billy Bush definitely does. So, I mean, you already got a little, a little grouping there of people that get it, right? Have Nebraska connections, have deep passion for the school. I mean, so if, if, if you're going to hire a guy that doesn't have a bunch of Power 5 success and experience that he brings to the table with you, this might be the guy. You know what I mean? Or at a minimum, if he does moderately well, you find a way to keep him interested and then give your new coach that you do hire a, a strong sales pitch to say, hey, this is a guy and this is a guy that you might want to keep around mm-hmm. because of all these reasons, you know? Yep. And maybe they end up giving, you know, Mickey doesn't get the head coaching job, but he gets the associate head coaching job and a huge pay bump, you right. know? Yep. And we brought that up last week as well as the one potential right. scenario that could play out. Right. Right, exactly. Yep. So anyway, that's just some deep relationship stuff that kind of showed up in that video. You could just see it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, talking about Rutgers, uh, interestingly, they're coming off of two losses, um, the first against uh, Iowa and then against Ohio State last week where they lost 49-10. to 10. Um, Now, it is at Rutgers, so it's an away game for us, uh, which will be a little more challenging for sure. <clears throat> But I am uh, I am hopeful that we may be able to capitalize on the fact that they played like three kind of I think they, they beat Boston College in their first game, which is a solid win, and then beat two kind of nobodies and then lost to Iowa and Ohio State. Um, right. So uh, their team morale might be a little bit low right now, whereas we're, you know, obviously at the highest point we've been this season so far. Um, so I'm hoping that we can take that energy and uh, score early, right? Like we did in this game. Actually, I think it was mentioned on the radio call that like um, we've scored on the first uh, possession, possession, like four yep. of the five games we've played so far. Um, so that's actually that something correct. we've been good at. We haven't been good at sustaining it though. So I'd like to see right. us score early and then keep up the pressure, you know, and I- right. ideally, you know, get a good uh, lead so that by the fourth quarter um, maybe we could even uh, sub Casey out. Right. And uh, just kind of coast to the W. <laughs> man, that's dreaming. <laughs> that's, <laughs> I know you are, you are, no, that's good. That's future. Perfect scenario. That's the way it used to be. Um, but, uh, but uh, I, I, I would agree with you. That's what we would want to see happen. And I would mention one other thing that along that same line, uh, Rutgers, has played not just anybody, but they've played Iowa and Ohio State in back-to-back weeks. Two very, very physical defenses, right? So they're going to come into this game kind of beat up, I would expect, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how many guys they had sitting out. Maybe they were looking at the Ohio State game and saying, you know, we're not likely to win that anyway, so let's make sure that we're getting as healthy as we can for the run uh, for the rest of the season, right? So sometimes a coach will uh, um, will – maybe lay back a little bit on the whole uh, play or not play a player based on how he sees the season 
unfolding, right? And uh, so we'll see how many, like there were four or five of their starters at Rutgers that were held out last week because they were injured. Mm. Now, how many of those four or five guys end up not just suiting up, but actually coming back and starting and playing for us uh, against Nebraska? And if they do, well, you know, that could change the whole dynamic of what, you know, Rutgers is as a football team. Um, so we'll see. But uh, I would agree with you that we are going, we should go in there with optimism and with, with positive energy. The, the real question is, how, how are our practices going to be this week? Are these guys, you know, still, are, are they able to do the 24-hour rule? You know, like Mickey talked about and most coaches talk about, you know, you get 24 hours to celebrate your victory, right? And then it's back to work on the next game. Well, that's easier said than done, especially it's been a long time since you won. <laughs> you know, sometimes you tend to think like, okay, we, we've turned that corner. All right, yeah. But then you go out and you lay an egg in the first practice of the week preparing for the next game. And made even worse by the fact that this game is already a shortened week because it's a Friday night game instead of a Saturday game, right? So, mm-hmm. so everything is pulled forward. Everything is more urgent. And were they able to, you know, have a good practice or not? And, of course, if they have a bad one, uh, Mickey isn't necessarily going to share that with the media until after we get our ass kicked on Saturday, or, excuse me, Friday, and then he's going to be like, yeah, well, we, 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 uh, you know, we had some troubles this week, that type of thing. So I'm hopeful that we didn't have that bounce. Instead, we had a real positive bounce, and the guys were, were fired up and ready to, let's do this again, let's get better. Let's get better every day. Yeah. Um, I just did a quick bit of research, and it seems like uh, Rutgers' starting quarterback, I believe, got injured uh, not in the Ohio State game, but earlier in the season. Um, so I guess right. they've been kind of rotating guys, trying to find who's uh, who's the best fit. Um, so that may be an area where we can capitalize if we are able to keep up that aggressive defensive style, right? Get some sacks, get some pressure back there. Um, I think we could see some success with that. And keep in mind that Noah Vedral is still one of those quarterbacks, the oh. ex-Nebraska quarterback who we are familiar with, right? So, so Noah is still in the mix and, in fact, played against Ohio State. Okay, that is something to keep in mind. Yes. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and predict, uh, despite my earlier optimism, I don't think we'll get into uh, such a big lead in the fourth <laughs> quarter, as I said. Uh, but I do think that we will uh, be able to win um, and uh, hopefully uh, with a solid score, um, because I, I'm we've talked a lot about the defense in this podcast for obvious reasons, because they showed great improvement in this game. Um, but I'm also really hoping to see the offense show more consistency. Right. We had some great drives in that game, but we also had lots of three and outs and kind of, you know, penalties and intentional groundings and stuff like that. Uh, so I really want to see that area of the ball. So that side of the ball cleaned up. And I think if we can do that, uh, we can get out to that early lead. Uh, so I'm going to say that Nebraska ends up winning, uh, let's say, uh, 45 to Rutgers uh, 28. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go slightly different. I'm, I'm also going to predict a Nebraska victory because I'm optimistic as well. And, and frankly, if we don't win this game, I'm not sure we're winning another one this season, right? So it's kind of, we're in that mode at this point where every game we play is the next step on the mountain, right? We're just going to be climbing the mountain. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's do or die every week. 
And I hope that, and I believe Mickey will deliver that message to the team. Now, how well they embrace it and are able to, you know, prepare for it. That's great. You know, and I don't know what kind of crowd and home field advantage that um, Rutgers is going to have. It's a Friday night. It seems like that could be really rocking, right? I mean, a big time party. Uh, but I, I don't know. Maybe some some regular fans won't be able to make it because they usually travel from further away. I, you just don't know. So I'm curious what kind of attendance and you know energy they're going to have in that stadium for them. But hopefully it won't be very good and. And that'll be an advantage to us. So with that being said, I think we come out at least initially with some success. And if we can stay clean and stay more disciplined, as you said earlier, then I think we win the football game. But I don't think we score as many points as you were describing. I think I think we're going to win that game. If, if we're going to win that game, it's going to be a little bit like uh, the one we had this week. I'm going to say a, 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 a great score for me would be uh, 35 to 21, just like this weeks i'm gonna i'm gonna reap i'm gonna predict basically the exact same score as we had against indiana and that uh, we score in the fourth quarter to get to that 14 point victory right i think it's gonna be hard fought right well i thought about that a little bit too but i was like it if we're able to clean up the, the penalties and stuff right which is the big key to my prediction um, yes. I feel like we should have scored much more against Indiana and the defense played good enough to stop them from scoring. Right. If we hadn't had that, you know, sack at the end zone and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, good point. So I'm hoping that if we do, uh, clean that up and be more efficient, uh, we'll be able to be better. Now I may not be taking into account, like you mentioned the Greg Schiano defense, right. That Rutgers defense is going to be better than Indiana's. Um, yes, that may put a hole in my plan here, but <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I, I would, I would be thrilled if we had that kind of offensive production, because that would give me optimism again that the offensive line had made progress, and that because, because again, I look at what Whipple has done so far offensively, and I'm okay with it. There's a nice balance of run and pass there, and um, uh, I don't love everything he does, but I get what he's trying to do. Yeah. No, yeah. I wouldn't say offensive, the play calling hasn't been a major uh, concern of mine, aside from what I've mentioned before about how sometimes we uh, go for the deep ball, like on first down and stuff like that, when I'd prefer we just focus on getting the first down. So that'd be my one critique. Yep. I'm with you on that. Yeah. All right. So now before we dive into the big games from week five, which there were quite a few interesting games worth talking about, uh, well, I guess we should start with uh, the Wisconsin game, which leads into the next piece of news, um, where uh, Wisconsin, darn, I actually didn't write it down. Who did they play last week? Illinois. And, and oh, that's right. Brett Belima, who was their ex-coach, right? Right, right. So, yeah, there's some interesting history there. Yeah. Uh, that's right. So it was a 34-10 to 10 win for Illinois, uh, ugly game uh, for Wisconsin for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, against the in a lot of ways. Yeah, against the team. Yeah, that's not considered to be uh, that good. Um, and then it was announced. I saw fans complaining about uh, Paul Chris, their coach, and like the threads I was seeing on Reddit. Uh, and then it was announced on Sunday that Wisconsin had fired him. They had fired Paul Chris, the defensive coordinator, uh, Jim Leonhard. 
is now the interim Le- head Leonard. Leonard. Yeah. Leonard is the yeah. interim head coach. Um, and an interesting stat actually is I looked up Paul Chris um, stats, his win loss yeah. record. He was yep. uh, 67 wins, 26 losses. Uh, very mm-hmm. similar to our previous head coach, Bo Pelini, who was 67 wins and 27 losses. So, right. And a lot of people were even saying like that, you know, he had like three years going to the championship like Bo did at earlier yep. points in his career, et cetera, et cetera. So he's very comparable, except that Paul does not have the personality issues that Bo did. Correct. Yeah. There was a bunch of off the field issues that drove the Bo Pelini decision. It wasn't necessarily his on field performance, although there were issues there too, but those weren't what got him fired. Um, and you're right. And so you almost wonder, is there more stuff behind the scenes? And I think part of it is the, the athletic director at Wisconsin, who's only been there a couple of years because Barry Alvarez was there before. Uh, I mean, in this role, I think this guy had previously been at Wisconsin, this athletic director, but, um, I think he was looking at it and saying, okay, I've got a guy on staff that I believe is our next head coach, and I do not want to lose him. And when his name started being bantied about, including the Nebraska job, right, then I think that athletic director um, recognized that, you know what, I need to make a decision here or I'm going to lose my future head coach. And my current head coach is not getting it done. He's trending in a negative direction, uh, and I can – now look at uh, Wisconsin has basically played all their tough games. You look at the rest of the games on their schedule, and and uh, there probably isn't a game that they would be uh, an underdog in under normal circumstances, right? If they hadn't been, you know, dumping it these last couple of weeks and underperforming, then everybody would look at the talent on that squad and say, this is, this is a team that's going to win the rest of their games. So now he's giving this, this Leonard a runway in which he can start building positive momentum and be this great success story. You know, unlike Nebraska's situation with Mickey, where we have this huge hill to climb because we still have to play Michigan and Wisconsin and Iowa and uh, Minnesota, you know, all the, the quote, quote, tougher teams um, on our schedule are still out there in front of us. You know, the ones that are traditionally not as difficult, like Northwestern uh, and Indiana are in our rearview mirror. Right. Right. So, so he's positioned for Leonard to build positive momentum. He's already regarded as one of the best young, uh, you know, coordinators in college football. And he's only like 38 or 39 years old. And he's a young guy. So, so you got a chance to be the the man who puts this guy in charge of Wisconsin and then leads them to a 20 year run of continued success. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's what I think that AD was thinking. I, I in the comments I saw um, talking about that decision. I think I saw some speculation similar to yours that uh, this was partially based off of holding on to this uh, defensive coordinator that everyone is uh, thinking so highly of. Um, right. Inter- interestingly, um, their big crossover game from the other side of the conference is Michigan State. Um, who they're happy to catch in a year where they're struggling, right? So right, that's another exactly. one that's, that's why, definitely winnable. Exactly. Yeah, they're Ohio. They played Ohio State, got crushed, but that's behind them now, right? And and this Illinois game behind them. Um, now they still do need to play Minnesota. They always play them last game of the year, so that's going to be a tough game for them. But 
But I mean, you could definitely see them going, you know, five and two or six and one the re- remainder of the season if they right the ship. But here's the here's the caveat, and this is the part that's a little bit of a head scratcher. His defense has not performed very well this year, right? I mean, he, he's had some good defenses in the past. In fact, he's led the country in in defensive stats, you know, uh, in past years. But he gave up a half a hundred to to uh, to Ohio State, and then he gave up thirty four to Illinois, right? So his defense ain't doing so great. So uh, I think it's more than just offense problems at Wisconsin. Right. Well, and it was making me uh, make me think a little bit about Mel Tucker, right? Who's at Michigan State, who was getting some national interest in Michigan State paid a very hefty sum to lock oh, him yeah. in for a more long-term contract. And now all of a sudden they're having a, a tough start to their year. Um, so yeah. it's interesting how the, and we know that better than anybody with Scott Frost, right? So the right, right. the star of the, the moment can quickly fade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Exactly. Exactly. Why don't you go ahead and talk about how you think this affects uh, Nebraska's uh, coaching search? Okay. So uh, I just pitched you the ideal scenario for Nebraska, which is that that this athletic director did this in part or in large part so that he could do a nice long um, interview, so to speak, with this Leonard guy and give him every, every opportunity to, to basically win the job, right? Uh, now, assuming that goes the way he hopes it's going to go, then, um, then that doesn't affect us at all, right? Then uh, Wisconsin's replacement isn't even in, really in the factor for what we're looking at. Um, However, if instead the, the problems at Wisconsin go deeper than some might think and their defense doesn't get better, their offense doesn't get better, um, and uh, you know maybe there's a little division on the team because I think this has got to be a shock to some of those players, um, especially the players on offense, um, that, that things could not go so well for, for Wisconsin. Now what do you do? Okay, now... You really don't want to give Leonard the job if he just went, you know, three and four uh, in a in a seven game stretch where he probably should have won at least five of those seven games, right? Right. So now what? <laughs> now what do you do? Right. So then you look to uh, probably the Kansas coach, right? If he continues to have success, which he's already at five and zero, oh, so I uh, I mean Leopold's going to get to seven, most likely eight or more wins pretty easily uh, based on how he's been performing, how his team has been performing up to this point. So he's going to be a guy that is a commodity and he is uh, a Wisconsin native, uh, won six national championships at division three, uh, university of Wisconsin, Whitewater. Uh, he would be a, you know, the golden boy coming home and he, and he's, you know, turned around Buffalo and turned around Kansas. So he's got a history multiple years in multiple locations of 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 uh, Division One football, you know, so he would be another candidate. That's where those two cross. That's where the Nebraska coaching search and the Wisconsin might we we might end up getting into a bidding war for a guy like Leopold or Aranda, who was also the defensive coordinator. In fact, uh, this Leonard, he learned under Aranda. He played for Aranda at Wisconsin and then became an assistant coach under Aranda, right? Mm-hmm. So, so. Uh, Dave Aranda is another guy that has huge, deep ties to Wisconsin. So I could see their, co- their athletic director going after Aranda. And 
I would be shocked, frankly, if they don't. If they don't go after Aranda, I don't care how much you think about Leonard. Uh, I still think you have to first make a call to Dave Aranda and say, hey, you want to you come back to Wisconsin? And if, he, and if he said, I'm interested, then, then you absolutely have that dialogue with him. And I don't give a damn what Leonard does. Right. You go to the teacher first before you go to the pupil, right? Yeah, exactly. Because the, the teacher isn't an old teacher. You know what I mean? He's not past his prime. He's absolutely in his prime. So, so I don't know why you would, would settle for, like you say, the pupil rather than the teacher. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, so Dave Aranda is the other one that I think is in play with Wisconsin that could negatively affect who we might have wanted to try to go after. I don't know how much Aranda would have had interest in Nebraska. You know what I mean? I don't think he has any ties to the state of Nebraska. Um, you know, most uh, a little bit of his career is Big Ten related, but not a ton of it. So I, I, I but the Wisconsin job, I think Aranda would be interested in. So, so it will not shock me if Dave Aranda ends up the Wisconsin coach. Mm-hmm. Which would definitely make you sad that now we have to compete against the guy. Absolutely. Because who was my guy? Who's my guy? <laughs> Aranda. Exactly. So that would piss me off. So that's where this uh, negatively affects us. But I'm hoping that all the, 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 the early scuttlebutt says, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to let this Leonard guy have his you know, debut here, and he's going to win you know, five or six games out of these last seven, and, and we're going to be going bowling and looking great as the future you know, with a young, vibrant head coach. All right. Um, so going into the games from uh, week five, besides that Wisconsin yeah. game, um, this one was quite interesting. Uh, Georgia beat Missouri uh, 26-22 uh, in a game that, uh, frankly, Missouri should have won. They had to settle for many, many field goals, including one where they – I think they got an interception or a big pass or something and like got to the one yard line and Georgia's defense still stopped them and forced them to kick the field goal. Uh, so if Mizzou was just uh, getting touchdowns instead of field goals, they easily win that game. Um, so right. Georgia kind of, kind of like Alabama against Texas, right? They got out of there with a win and a game where they didn't play well. Yep. Well, and, and they were losing, right? I mean, Georgia was losing until, I mean, three or four minutes left in the game, right? I mean, it was, it was uh, it was Missouri game, and even with all the mistakes they did make, it was still a very good chance they could win it if they just could hold hold them out. But Georgia's offense finally woke up and did its thing in that fourth quarter. Pretty much. Uh, another interesting one was one that we predicted uh, last week, uh, which was Oklahoma State Baylor. Right. Speaking of Dave Aranda. Um, yes. And you, and you predicted uh, that uh, Baylor would win that game, forty-five, uh, forty-one. Whereas I predicted that Oklahoma State, being at home, would manage to pull out the win of thirty-five, twenty-eight. And the final score ended up being thirty-six, uh, twenty-five. So I was pretty darn close. There. You were no, not darn close. You were dead on, man. That's a dead-on <laughs> situation. Uh, you I'd got say, it. I'd say so. Well, and that, and and frankly, that probably increases the chances that Dave Aranda is going to be willing to talk to Wisconsin or us if we reached out because all of a sudden, you know, Dave Aranda's got two losses, right? Or mm-hmm. no, they have two losses already. But anyway, yeah, I think they have two losses. So, you know, their season isn't playing out as good as they thought it was going to. No, that's true. 
yeah, and I, I did watch the the recap of that particular game on YouTube. Um, and uh, I'm not remembering a lot of the details right now, but I think Baylor did make some mistakes, like with some uh, turnovers and stuff that kind of uh-huh. let Oklahoma State uh, get some of their huge plays, big yard plays and everything going. And you are correct. Uh, Baylor also lost to BYU in overtime. That's what it was, yes. Earlier in the season. Yes, and, and, and they struggled to beat Iowa State. You know what I mean? Like they have not, they have not been uh, – blowing people's doors off or anything that's very true so it's gonna be interesting yeah uh this one was interesting in the sec uh mississippi state versus texas a&m uh 42 24 uh texas a&m who's seeming to have this very up and down season so far uh i know a lot of people are getting upset with jimbo fisher over there um i do have to say though uh I watched the recap of that particular game too, and I do not want to go to a Mississippi State game. I think uh, because they're constantly ringing those bells, you know, oh, out yes. in the stands on like every the play. Cowbells. The cowbells. Yes. Oh my gosh! I think that would drive me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, that is. Well, and I think they have to get some kind of special dispensation because it's kind of like uh, they were grandfathered in. That kind of noisemaker is no longer allowed. But they get to do it because they've always done it, type of thing. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so they got some kind of an exception because, generally speaking, those kinds of noisemakers are not allowed. Very now, true. and that that was at uh, Mississippi State, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and who won? Mississippi State. Yeah, by yes. forty-two to twenty-four. So it was a and, pretty and, solid And here's the win. thing. I mean, Mississippi State probably had the lowest recruiting class in the SEC last year. And and who had the number one recruiting class? A and M. Exactly. I mean, Jimbo Fisher is a brilliant recruiter, just like he was at Florida State. But man, he does less with more. I mean, he is he does not have a you know, the data is continues to accumulate that this is a guy that can't quite get it done unless he has a generational quarterback. Yeah. I, I do recall re- watching the recap of that game. There definitely was a point where they were like basically in the red zone, ready to score and then had a turnover. Um, so they yep. were, they were kind of snake bit that game. It just felt like anytime they had anything go right for them uh, or basically everything went wrong. Like they missed field goals multiple times, yep. I think, and stuff like that. So what does that sound like? <laughs> does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> just a bit, just a bit like yeah. some, yeah, uh, corn. So somebody's not paying attention to details, right? Corn, corn team. I've heard of before. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, and then we got to talk about Oklahoma. Oh yeah, yep. Well, yeah, that was yeah, that was the craziest upset probably of the week, which was right. a TCU uh, destroying Oklahoma, fifty-five uh, twenty-four, and it was actually it was less than that. I think Oklahoma kind of got a garbage touchdown in the fourth quarter when the game was already over. Um, and yeah, uh, I believe Oklahoma's quarterback got hurt in the second quarter, uh, which probably affected their offensive performance. And then you watch these highlights and TCU's players are just looking way faster than Oklahoma, you know, breaking tackles or just outrunning their guys, right? They had tons of runs where they yep. just sped off to the races, it felt like. Uh, so mm. an impressive performance from them. You know, I, I may have to watch that again because um, 
I'm going to tell you that Oklahoma's head coach, okay, he was the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. And so the Oklahoma fans will not um, – uh, they will not wait patiently. <laughs> Let's just put it that way because they remember this. And he basically got somewhat run off from Oklahoma as defensive coordinator because he had a tendency to have one or two games a year every year where – uh, you know, an offensive coordinator would just get in his head, and he is such an aggressive defensive coordinator that he's, you know, he's aggressively blitzing and things like that. You get a, you get a, uh, an offensive coordinator that that gets into his head, and all of a sudden, you know, he's calling the perfect play every time that blitz is coming, right? Right. And all of a sudden, big play after big play after big play is happening, and Oklahoma would get blown out. And this was true when he was their defensive coordinator. Then he went to. He went to uh, Clemson and became Clemson's defensive coordinator. Again, had great talent, was playing in the ACC, and had great success, won national championships with Dabo, and built you know, his reputation, um, and now was, the, was a good choice in, in all argument's sake uh, for Oklahoma in the light, in, in departure of Lincoln Riley. But um, he still has this Achilles heel, a little Bo Pelini-ish almost. Right. Well, when you, it's kind of that the, you live by the blitz, you die by the blitz, right? That kind of high risk, high reward type of strategy. Right. Exactly. And I just, and he's a very high, strong, super intense guy. And when you start getting embarrassed like that and you start yelling and stuff like he does, uh, you know, as a head coach, sometimes that spirals out of control. And again, I'm going to use the Bo Pelini analogy, you know, uh, his players loved him, but they were also scared to death of him, right? They feared his spittle and screams, right? Uh, right. Where you would just get undressed in the middle in front of the national television audience. Well, um, uh, we'll see how things play out at Oklahoma, but I just I have a feeling that they're going to have a pretty quick hook on this coaching hire at Oklahoma if it continues to go like it is. Because he's not devoid of talent. That team had a lot of talent. And so this is an unacceptable result. Right. Though they did have, obviously, a good bit of their talent from last year leave to go with Lincoln Riley. Well, some of them did, but not all of them. No. And they recruited well. So, no. I mean, they they still have way more talent than TCU. I'll just tell you that. And, right. and yet TCU made them look foolish. Right. Well, it was also a, a good week to be in Kansas. Uh, because uh, Kansas won over Iowa State uh, 14-11, and then Kansas State, who we talked about quite a bit last week with our uh, former quarterback Adrian Martinez, uh, beat Texas Tech 37-28. So there you go. Yes, and and Adrian had another good game, I understand, from a statistical standpoint and that sort of thing. So he just continues to do well. I'll be curious to see if he stays healthy, Uh, you know, because that would be the other element of, of what was going on at Nebraska. And again, if you're asking him to do less, then maybe he doesn't get all the mileage, so to speak, that accumulates on, uh, on him in the years he was at Nebraska. Very so, true. But that Kansas score is interesting. 14 to 10, that's, that's some ugly football there. Well, 14 to 11. Uh, right. That's some real ugly football there. I didn't watch that game. Uh, I probably need to uh, maybe pull that up and, and see uh, and watch the highlights. Yeah, yeah, I didn't have a chance to take a look at that one either. Um, but Iowa State obviously coming off the loss to Baylor. And actually, this upcoming week, week six, they play against uh, Kansas State. Um, Ooh. 
So, yeah, they've kind of had uh, several tough games in a row here. Well, and uh, but, I'm, but I mean, right or wrong, that's the kind of stuff that takes the shine off of a coaching prospect, right? And so everybody was Matt Campbell this, Matt Campbell that as soon as we fired Scott. But since we fired Scott, he's lost two close games to Baylor and now Kansas. And now he's got to play a Kansas State team that's pretty, pretty well coached too by a good coach on his, in his own right. So it, it could very easily be another loss for Campbell. And uh, so, you know, the highlight of the season at this point is beating Iowa. Right. You know, for whatever that's worth. Right. Well, I think it was the first time he'd done it. So I think it was a big right. deal for him. Oh, it, it is. But, but again, um, I'm not holding Iowa up as, as the, you know, the measuring stick. Right, right. Um, talking about week six, um, there are a few interesting games. Um, in the uh, Pac-12, uh, Utah is playing against UCLA, number 11 versus number 18. Uh, so I think that should be a good one. Wow. UCLA is ranked number 18. Mm-hmm. Well, wow. I think I saw somebody saying that, like, this has been, like, the most upsetty, you know, upset-prone, like, uh, season since like 2007 or something like that. Just commenting on yeah. how many big upsets we've had, you know, in the first half of the season so far. Right. Cause UCLA won a big game this past weekend. We didn't even talk about it where they upset, uh, they upset who the heck did they uh, play? Washington, Washington. They beat Washington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's why they're ranked now. Because uh, I don't think they were ranked last week. That's why I'm I'm, I'm finding that a little surprising. Um, that's 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 surprisingly good news for UCLA. Yep, and they're coming to the Big Ten, so there you go. Yeah, that's um, right. And uh, we also have uh, BYU is playing against Notre Dame, uh, which should be interesting. They're the higher ranked team there. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Notre Dame again struggling. We'll see how they are able to right the ship. Yep. Uh, and of course, there's the classic uh, Red River shootout uh, between Texas and Oklahoma. Oh, it's 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 yes, Red River shootout. Thank you, Alex. Bravo. Yeah. See, see, I got it right this time. You did. Yeah. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma. Um, neither of them being ranked, which I'm curious when the last time that happened was. Um, it is at home at home for Oklahoma, and I think despite I, I think I saw that Texas is the favorite actually in the betting odds. Um, but I think I personally would still side with Oklahoma, especially since it's at home. Well, wait a minute, time out. You're you're, you're misunderstanding the rivalry. This is the Red River rivalry, Alex. Right or the Red River Shootout is the proper name. It will always be the name that I want to use. Um, it is always played at, uh, the stadium right on the red river, uh, uh, or excuse me, it's always played at the stadium that is part, uh, right next to the state fair. It's during the Texas state fair every year. And so it's in Texas. It's always there. It's a neutral field. It's not in Austin. It's not in, in Norman. Now they do identify a home team each year because one of the teams has to be the host or whatever but they switch it off every year for team colors and and how the you know the, the game is managed but each team gets half the stadium tickets okay so it's half red and half orange right right and it's always at and i'm trying to think of where the state fair is i, I feel like it's in fort worth i believe it's in the stadium that's in fort worth uh 
but it might be in the Jerry Dome now in Arlington. Bottom line, though, is it's a neutral, quote, quote, neutral site. It's about the same distance from Austin as it is from Norman. That's right. I, I had forgotten that, but the, I guess they're the hosting team then this year. Yeah, but, the hosting but, team, but, yes. Which, which doesn't really mean anything. No. So home field advantage doesn't matter. You know, who's home and who's away doesn't matter. It's it's equal neutral ground, man. Right. Well, regardless, I'm still going to stick with my prediction that I think uh, Oklahoma will win, uh, but I think okay. it definitely could could come down to the wire. I, I'm I'm gonna um, I'm gonna say I'll go the opposite. I, I I could see the wheels coming off a little bit at Oklahoma, especially since you said their quarterback. Uh, did their quarterback get hurt? Yes, during that TCU game. So if they don't have that guy, I think their offense is in shambles. So I'm going Texas, and uh, uh, and maybe you know, comfortably. Okay. I mean, this is the Texas that almost beat Alabama, so... Uh, exactly. But it's also the Texas that uh, lost to... Uh, who was it that they lost to? I can't even remember now. But they've lost to... Uh, didn't they lose to Texas Tech? Uh, uh, yes, I believe they did. I think they did. And somebody else. Uh, so, yeah. Who knows what's going on at Texas. But I, I just feel like if Oklahoma doesn't have their quarterback healthy and they are already clearly have some uh, defensive issues... Texas is going to win it. Yeah. And I hate that. Trust me. I want Oklahoma to win that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. They did lose to Texas Tech, and then, but they beat West Virginia uh, by 18 points this last week. Um, yeah. So I am kind of reconsidering my uh, my prediction here, I have to admit. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. You stay with it. <laughs> all right. Then you, all can right. Be, you can be right uh, uh, again. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll go ahead and predict then uh, – that Oklahoma wins, and let's say it'll be uh, 38-35. And I, I'm going to say that it's going uh, uh, to be 45-31, to Texas victory. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then another good, good game in the, uh, in the Big 12. They've had a lot of good games here in this portion of the season. Uh, we have number 17 TCU going against number 19 Kansas. It is at home for Kansas. I believe college game day is going to be going there for the first time in a long time, I'm sure. Um, so it'll be interesting to see both teams coming off of uh, good wins. Uh, TCU is much more of a blowout versus Kansas's, yeah. which was down to the wire, right? Um, right. So I don't know. I, I was very impressed by what I saw of TCU in that game against Oklahoma. So I think I'm going to lean their way, even though it's a away game. Uh, uh, you know what? I share your feelings. Um, if you look at Kansas's, you know, five and zero start here, um, uh, Iowa state is probably the best victory they've had. And that was kind of an ugly victory, right? Um, they beat West Virginia about like what Texas did. Um, and I don't know that West Virginia is very good this year. Otherwise they haven't really played they played Duke, um, uh, Kansas did, uh, but um, and they beat them. I, I just uh, I look at T- TCU hasn't played very many big time teams either, other than Oklahoma. Now beating Oklahoma the way they did that that sends a strong se- signal to me. That, so I'm going to have to go with TCU as well. All right. Uh, so I'm going to say that uh, TCU is very explosive on offense, like they were against Oklahoma. Uh, and they managed to win uh, by, uh, let's see here, let's say uh, 52 
to uh, 35. Okay, that's good. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say it's going to be 42, uh, TCU 42 points, and uh, um, Kansas 28. Okay. A little bit lower scoring, but I like it. Yep. All right. Well, we'll have to see uh, what uh, unexpected upset we'll be talking about in uh, the next podcast. It feels like every week we you know, talk about the big games and then something else comes in and surprises us, takes all the headlines. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's it's been a fascinating year. I just think, I, I, you know, there's again, we, we've talked about this in, in off-season podcasts about the fact that the NCAA did this sport no, um, no um, justice, no support. When they made so many radical, I mean, monumental, earthquake-shattering changes to the game in a, such a short period of time, if they had stretched these decisions out uh, over a period of ten years and done one at a time, let things settle out, and then do another one, and then let things settle out, but instead they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater and just put caution to the wind and have thrown a bunch of shit over their shoulder, and I just. I think that what we're seeing is the, you know, uh, random nature of how that has played out. And it'll, it's take, it's going to take a few years for that to settle in. And, and as teams and coaching staffs figure out how to navigate this new reality that they have to live in. And then you're going to start seeing who the haves and the have nots are, who the people are that have figured out how to take advantage of this new structure and the ones that aren't. And, you know, there's going to be some new winners and some new losers for sure. But it's mostly going to be the traditional winners and the traditional losers. And the gap is going to widen. Mm -hmm. Yep. We'll have to see how it all plays out. Uh, To your point, you know, I think someone from the NCAA were arguing that they were kind of forced into, you know, uh, making all these changes in a row, not necessarily because they wanted to. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, absolutely. Uh, You know, they would point to the lawyers. And say, you know, our legal advice told us that if we didn't do these things, that we were uh, opening up the organization to potential lawsuits that would have basically destroyed the organization. So we we chose this path because of that. And I'm sure that's what they would tell you in a quiet, honest moment where you couldn't repeat the answer, um, that it's driven by the lawyers and fear of lawsuits. Right. But I, I, I'm here to tell you that there were plenty of arguments to be made, um, but they didn't want to make them. Mm-hmm. Yep, probably true, probably true. All right, well, we here are certainly hoping that we'll be coming to you next week with another Nebraska W under our shoulders and some real momentum behind our interim coach, Mickey Joseph. And we'll have to see how the Kansas states, uh, the Kansas schools, I should say, uh, do in this week six of college football, how the classic Red River shootout ends up going. Uh, so there's a lot to look forward to for next podcast. Yes, absolutely. And we, we pretty much ignored our Big Ten slate this, this week. So hopefully, uh, you know, that will uh, uh, bring some interesting uh, anecdotes as well. Yeah. Well, probably the one I saw that was definitely worth mention is uh, Michigan played against Iowa, won 27-14. Uh, yes. Not a particularly remarkable uh, score, um, but shows that Iowa was able to hang in there with a, a talented Michigan team. Right. Iowa's defense is for real. Their problem is 
their offense is is moderate to poor. Right. Yeah, that is the problem. All right. So uh, we hope all of you out there enjoyed listening to this podcast. You can email us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can also find us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave us a rating or review there. We always love hearing from the fans. We can read your comments out on the air. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.